0: Check out heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. From the earliest days of our friendship, Greg Barrett has known how to make me laugh, how to push my buttons. And I'm not alone. There is a fanatical group of like-minded fans of Greg Behrendt out there. He's done a lot of stuff. He's bubbled to the surface of the pop culture zeitgeist wave a number of times, most notably when he wrote and scored a bestseller with the book, He's Just Not That Into You, with his co-author Liz Tuccio. That was a cultural phenomenon, but he's done a lot of stuff. He's got a surf rock band called The Reigning Monarchs, he's had a couple of TV shows, a number of comedy specials, a decades-long career as a stand-up comic, and as you're about to find out during the course of our conversation, a burgeoning career as a writer of fiction. I'm a big fan of Greg Berendt. I feel like he's got a knack for telling it like it is and for making it funny even if it's harsh, which I think is the reason he's just not that into you, connected with people so much. You know, it's real talk, tough love. Greg Barrent is the king of tough love. I feel so lucky to be his friend, and I feel so lucky to have him as my guest on this episode of Wheels Off. Please welcome to Wheels Off the great Greg Behrendt. Greg, welcome to Wheels Off. Buddy, thank you for having me.
2: Thanks so much for doing it. Um, I, uh, as soon as I knew you were doing a podcast, I was like, I just, got I want to, when am I going to be on? <laughs> when am I going to be on? Whenever somebody has this podcast, I'm like, I wanna, am I going to be on it? I wonder if I'm going to be on it. Well, and I was like, I had to be on Rets.
1: You probably immediately knew that it would be when we were both in Durham, North Carolina. Dude, that's what I like to say. I like to say, let's hook up in Durham. Yeah, meet let's, in Durham.
2: Let's, you know, I love to be just down the road from where they made my mom's cancer. <laughs> just the tobacco buildings just up the street they just loved it that's where my mom lark she smoked lark cigarettes
1: oh my god yeah it's not weird there's that great robbie Folk song uh north carolina is a cigarette state but they're cheap as shit here too yeah now do you smoke did you I smoke did for years and years but it's been since i was 30 oh that's good yeah i never it never it never took for me it's funny i just interviewed Jim kirkman the other day and um Cigarettes come up, and I was like, "Well, oh, I'm so glad I don't smoke, and I, my my kids don't smoke." And she goes, "Oh, I think everybody should smoke for a while." I was like, that's an unpopular opinion, but and, that,
2: and you know what? Jen Kirkman's just the person to hold it. I love I love Jen, but she's the one of those like, look, people that get married are stupid. It's dumb to get married, and people should smoke. Everyone should smoke, and you kind of want to go. I don't know if I agree with you, but I like the way you say it.
1: She's so contrary, but I, I love it. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm so glad
2: everybody doesn't smoke. But-
1: Especially our kids Yeah um, What creative project Are you working on These days And how is it Inspiring you um, Wow How is it Inspiring me Well I guess I'm
2: always working On a creative project Because stand up Is sort of like With music You just haven't Like you don't Stop doing it Yeah Right But I'm not like Super thrilled <laughs> like, like I'm not like chomping at the bit to go out and do bits. Like the, it isn't it isn't got me inspired. Um, you and I talked a little bit, but I've been writing fiction, yeah. privately, for my own amusement uh, for a while, and I've gotten to the point now where I'm actually saying to myself, I think this is something you want to do, and I think this is something you should do because you seem to be drawn to it. It's rare when the thing that you want to do. Isn't super difficult in that you find yourself doing it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, like, like stand up. I have to make myself think about stand up. I have to remind myself that I want to go to the club. Like, I have to really push myself to be a stand up.
1: Has it always been that way? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always been. It's always been a little bit of a like. Okay, I'll go do it. You know what I mean? Like, like if somebody was to say to me every afternoon at five o'clock, "Hey, man, show's canceled." I'd be like, oh,
1: fucking perfect,
2: perfect. That's uh, yeah. Still get
1: paid. Yeah,
2: yeah. You're still getting paid, so it's no problem. But um, um, when I was in bands or when I played music, I couldn't wait to practice. I couldn't wait for rehearsal. Not good at it. Don't have a gift for it. Not something that. Want- it's almost like a girl that wouldn't date me, but I refuse to get off her lawn. That's my relationship with music. So writing, just writing fiction is that combination of both things where I love doing it and I think I'm actually pretty good at it and hopefully I'll do something with it in the next six or so months.
1: Mainly short stories.
2: Mainly short-, short stories, yeah. A thousand words. I like a thousand word, just a story. And then in my my thought for my first book would be that each story would continue like five chapters later so that there'd be like three or four stories that are running together. They're not, they don't line up but they are somehow connected but that there would be uh uh so uh, probably it's like five short stories divided into twenty
1: parts. Have you read uh, Jennifer Egan's "A Visit from the Goon Squad"? Yes. So great, right? But Super that, great. That kind of thing. Yeah. Short stories that are. Yep. Sort of of a piece. Sort of of a piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that yeah. So I forgot cool. about that book. And this is a new thing for you. Like, like, how did that come about? That you decided fiction was calling. I would wake. I wake up every morning at four thirty, and I meditate for an hour, and
2: then. I do whatever I want. I can... Like, I have this weird thing. I go, okay, now it's free pastime. Now you can draw. uh, You can write. uh, But you can't work on anything. You can't do work. It has to be something that's completely fun and inspired. So I just started writing fiction. I would just start... I'd have a name or I'd have a... Right? I would just have a, a... An idea, a sentence, a phrase. And I would just start and then just see where it wanted to go.
1: That's so funny. And I
2: think it because it had no goal, I had no goal with it. Like, I think... The problem for me with even with stand-up was, once I started doing stand-up, I was like, I gotta be a great stand-up. I wanna be a great stand-up. And, I, and I'm gonna push myself and I'm gonna see what other people are doing. And, I'm gonna, and I made it task-oriented. Whereas with this, I'm like, nobody cares. Nobody's interested. <laughs> just write, just do it. Just see what happens, make yourself laugh. And then I would read them to Amira, and she, it took me about a year. No, the first time I read it, to my daughter, my oldest daughter. Yeah. I read one to her, Once read to her, and she goes, What's wrong with you? Why don't you do? Why aren't you doing this for a living? And then I was like, Why? What's wrong with what I'm doing for a living? Yeah,
1: of course, that's what you hear. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: that feels like a judgment to me. Um, but um, yeah, I just get giddy about writing fiction. I think also because the books I have written books. If anyone mm-hmm. doesn't know, I'm, I'm the author of a of a very popular relationship book. But relationship books are not the same thing as writing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in in, the, in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think the especially um, the way you approach it's just not that into you. There's so much stuff in there that feels like it's in your voice, and it's like a really specific voice. And I think that that's part of why that book connected with people so you know powerfully. But um, but I can see what you're saying, and and the idea that there's no pressure to monetize it, I think, is such a cool thing that's come up a lot in these conversations I've had with creative type people. Is that when you're doing something and you're calculating. How this can feed your kids—that—that's a whole other kind of pressure that makes it hard. It—it—it's it, an—it's it's antithetical to art. I mean, it really
2: just does not help that. I mean, even with he's just not that into you, we didn't—we didn't think it was going to be anything more than a book that it would be at Urban Outfitters. Like, we didn't have a plan <laughs> beyond that. We just thought it was a cute kind of like, hey, if a guy's not calling you, he doesn't like you. It didn't seem like it would be groundbreaking or won't be anything anyone would be interested in. We had a lot of fun writing it. We had a lot of fun writing it. It was really, really kind of a. Not a goof, but we just did it in a like, hey, this is a pretty easy book to we just go from if a guy doesn't call you to if a guy's drunk all the time. You know, here here's a series of things that make you understand somebody is not right for you. And uh, and it happened quickly and it happened in a, in a kind of there was a sort of a joy around it that made it seem like even if this is it, this will be fine. And, uh, you know, it ended up being one of the probably the biggest thing I've ever done.
1: Isn't that funny? I mean, it's, it's almost as if trying to calculate what will work kills the chances of it working. 100%. Yeah. Boy, my, my, st- my
2: stand-up that works as opposed to my stand-up that doesn't work are always two different. Like, if I go to write a bit or if I even go to behave a certain way, sometimes you go up with stand-up and you're sort of like, I'm going to be... Maybe I'll be a little bit like Henry Rollins meets, you know, it's just awful. Just people are like, what is, what are you doing? What are you wearing? Why are you, you know, but if, if, you, if once you, once you stop the calculations and just go, this is what I got, it goes much better. But it's really hard to trust that.
1: Well, it's funny. So it's, it kind of comes back to the idea of authenticity, which is a charged word. Uh, Tyler Mahan Coe is the son of David Allen Coe and Tyler does a show called Cocaine and Rhinestones or a podcast series where he deep dives on country music stories from the past. Um, But one thing that he's talking about lately a lot is the authenticity um, fallacy. like The the idea that to do country music specifically in his instance is that that you have to be authentic. You have to be from the South. You have to be whatever, grow up on a farm Or whatever bullshit it is. But that's one kind of authenticity, which is, I think, the perceived kind. But then what we're talking about is, if you're really you. Like, if you're going up trying to be Henry Rollins, that's not you. I mean, I can see a little overlap, maybe. But that's not Craig Barrett.
2: Well, you see what's working. Or you look at what you like. You
0: look
1: what you're drawn to. And you think, oh, well, I'm
2: drawn to this. So maybe I should be like this. Not realizing that, A, it's already over because somebody's done it yeah. and B it will be so strange when you are not acting like you and, and realizing that it's really hard to go. The authentic you is just as authentic as the authentic blur yeah. or the authentic, whatever David on co, but, but, but it's not going to be the same and you're never going to, you know, you're not going to write like that. You're not going to be like that. I think sometimes it's hard. Also when you go, I'm never going to be super edgy. Or I'm never going to be super dark. Or I'm never going to be super good. Like whatever it is that you are trying to uh, emulate or see that you like. Right? I'm not ever going to be Robert Downey Jr. Ever. But yeah. I like Robert Downey Jr. But I, but he's a whole other person. But there's some days where your brain wants to try and figure out how to get there. You know? And, um, uh, and that's where people go crazy.
1: Well, and it kind of goes back to what you and I were discussing over lunch just now. Which was the... The idea of envy and how to, and how, what I was just uh, eating away at the core of you that can be like, oh, I was listening to another artist today with whom we're often, and I'm often compared, and they were so, the lyrics were so good, and I'm like, I'll never be like this. But that just fucking, it can really. It's really a negative thing, right?
2: Well, and also your opinion doesn't really mean shit because you're not the person buying your records and the people that listen to you, they don't fucking care. Yeah. They like you and you forget. And sometimes we devalue that because we look at our audience and we think, well, our audience is not that other person's audience. Another person's audience seems so much cooler. I wish the Strokes or whatever, whoever it is, you know, whoever the, God, man, the bands turn over so quick now. The Strokes are ancient. I know. I might as well have fucking said the Rolling Stones. Uh, how about the Smith Westerns? Nope, that was five years ago, six years ago. It, it just goes really quick. But um, but yeah, there, envy is is uh, another useless cul-de-sac of like you know. It, it's hard though because you are looking always to figure out how to get somewhere, and you see where somebody is, and you think, how did they get there? And then what can I what can I do to borrow from them or whatever? You know. Um, not realizing that you have your own thing already. And if you turned inward towards your own work, I don't know. I wish I could say in a vacuum.
1: Yeah. But, you know, we learn by emulating, right? It was funny. Michael Sheban had a, a great point about, like his earliest stuff was he would write what amounted to fan fiction of, of Sherlock Holmes stories. And so he, he talks about you write this thing and it sounds like the original, but then there's this weird other thing that keeps coming into it. And that winds up being your voice. So like, when you're trying to emulate the people you like, the difference, the, the thing that you can't nail is the thing that winds up being you. When you started, you grew up in the Bay Area. Yep. And um, you started pretty young, right? Like, At what point did you know that you were going to do some version of this creative life you've got? Probably, I mean, my, my parents pushed
2: me towards it uh, always. Like when I was in high school, do plays. And I'm like, I'm a football player. I do plays. And I was a... <laughs> Horrible football player. Um, When I got into college, then I finally, I my sophomore year, I took a theater class, and then that was it. Then I was like, oh man. So probably, you know, in my early twenties, I realized, oh, this is the life for me. You know, some some sort of. I was playing in bands as well, so I knew I wanted to get up and be in front of people, and I also wanted to be um, the creator of whatever it was. So plays didn't hit me as much as like writing like writing a play was more interesting to me than being in a play uh writing a song was more interesting to me than you know singing somebody else's song or or doing covers I never wanted to cover anybody as soon as I could play guitar I'm like I'm writing songs now are you well (laughs) I mean they're not great but I you know I always wanted to be building making my own robot you know making my own thing um so uh yeah I've been sort of pursuing some version of this for a long time
1: God, I, I've, I've always felt bad for our friends that are just actors. I shouldn't say that like it's a bad thing to be just an actor. Right. But you're so dependent, right, on someone else to create the content for you.
2: I, it's the inverse of what we do. I mean, I, I, it's a whole other art form to be able to go, I'm just going to wait to do something that somebody else writes, and I'm going to embody their idea, and I'm going to give them five different versions of it. And I'm like, no, oh, oh. <laughs> No, I just want to no. know. Can we do the thing where I, I'll, can I make the words up? I don't like the way this is written. I'd like to, no, I think acting is actually uh, maybe the hardest of all of the different skill sets.
1: I do, maybe because of the sublimation of yourself into someone else's thing and world and character. You got to completely submit. You got
2: to completely just, mm. and you got to listen. And I, what? <laughs> and you got to pay attention. You got to be there for somebody else. Like it's, a, it's such a different skill set.
1: Um, I will share, and I, I think I just recently did also, share the link of the short film that you did that Tom Morello and oh I God, appear so in that um what's the name of it like nothing greg barrett does not rock greg barrett does not rock oh it's so great anyway but the idea for the listeners is uh is it's like an anti-band a musician who uh believes so strongly in what not selling out that you don't ever do anything
2: i mean uh me a little bit more than you because of my age but i i came up in that in the 90s it was a very anti anti everything like you couldn't if you were seen trying in any way you were considered a sellout right like so i was like we were in a band that was I, I was in a band that was so cool we never formed yeah we never fucking why would you do that why would you start a band and just sell out by getting together <laughs> are you going to get together yeah. and play songs that's so fucking typical
1: yeah and
2: so that was the whole idea of it of being so anti-anti um I think now people wouldn't even know what you were talking about. They were like, yeah, no, I mean, you know, people will... I mean, there isn't... There's either selling out or just not being successful, right? Like, everybody wants to...
1: Yeah, there's no stigma anymore.
2: No, no. And any way that anybody gets there, people will celebrate and go, good for you, man.
1: Good for you for getting out there. Well, And everybody's so alone in their creation. It's just like, like a guy in, like, in a garage with a computer making... You know, you don't need anybody, what right? Well, there's no curators either. There's yeah.
2: nobody. I mean, there are. I guess, you know, in, in some places there are curators, but but for the most part, it is the general public decides whether it likes and what it doesn't like.
1: That's true. The barriers to entry have fallen away. There's, you know, like the
2: was it the kid, this black kid, they got on the country charts, and then they took him off because he had because they thought the song was too hip hop. Do so you know this story?
1: No, I don't.
2: Oh shit. I don't have I don't have any of the proper words, so you'll want to cut this out. But 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 there's a kid that just had a hip hop song
1: mm-hmm.
2: that charted on the country charts, and then they went, oh, this is not a country song, and they took it off the Billboard 100 country oh. songs. See who? And then Billy Ray Cyrus re-recorded it with him, made a remix with him, so to give him legitimacy and to, to make the point that that's ridiculous.
1: Oh, oh my God! I, yeah, it takes the the old white guy to. Mm-hmm. to get him to... Cat- I mean, there's
2: an old white guy that probably kicked him off and then another white guy helped him back on.
1: <laughs> We're the worst. We're the worst. We are the worst. Absolutely. So you and I, one of the reasons that, that, you know, we live in a world where people are all, people like us are all expected to do podcasts, right? Yes. So yep. um, when when I said no for years, like I'm not interested. But when I finally agreed to do it, it was just because I wanted to have conversations like this that are really what we would be talking about it, you know, in Durham at the breakfast place or whatever just now. Yeah. But um, you and I have talked a lot about this, but I do think it's super interesting and then useful for listeners, younger listeners even. Um, When you deal with negative inner voices, like the obstacles to what we do are obvious. Like it's hard to make a living doing comedy or doing music. And like those things are all pretty obvious. But the, the obstacles that... I think don't get talked about as much and do get stigmatized are the ones that are sort of self-generated. Um, how do you how do you deal with the negative inner voices? Pills?
2: Uh, no, I. You know, it's funny. I um, they're tired. My inner voices are tired now. They're, they really are tired, <laughs> and so they don't try as hard as they do. I'm a much I'm much gentler on myself than I used to be. Um, mostly because I sort of, you do something long enough and realize, man, I'm me and this is the way my thing sounds and I'm still doing it, which means somebody gives a shit. And maybe I ought to trust the fact that my ideas are good ideas and even the shitty ones are fine. You know, you gotta, you gotta have hit and misses, but, um, uh, they, it becomes a little self-indulgent and you start to go, yeah, um, why don't you stop thinking about yourself all the time? You fucking man, baby and go help somebody. 'll help somebody else do something, try and get involved in something else so I try to you know actively i try to be of service and uh and just get out of the idea of ever having to think about myself until it's time do,
1: that, you, do that, you think that when you when you're young there's a thing where that you romanticize the idea of sort of self hatred and the self doubt and comedians tend to maybe use that as fodder especially yeah
2: comedians. yeah 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 well I think there is i mean there's a, it's a weird thing because, you know, you have to, as a comedian, because it's such a bold act to get up and talk about, especially... And if you have any a modicum of confidence, then you have to come up self-effacing. You have to be able to let the air out of that thing so that people know you're not just a douchebag. Um, but that, that self-criticism really has to be monitored because sometimes you can go too far. And also, audiences don't want to know that you're a complete fuck-up. <laughs> Like they kind of were Like okay Well this story Is just fucking sad now So <laughs> reel it back in I remember Flanagan Said to me all the time He goes uh, Flanagan is a guy That is uh, Books a club That you and I Played At an old friend of ours And
1: um, And one of the gatekeepers Of the LA comedy scene Yeah In, in a lot of ways And, was, and he would always say day. to
2: me You don't get to be That negative about yourself People don't buy it They're not going to buy A sad story from you You're not that sad of a guy <laughs> And you do sort of Sometimes have to go Right That isn't what people Want from me You know But it looks good On other people You see other people do it and you think, fuck, that looks, that's so cool to be able to get up there and really tear yourself apart. So.
1: Yeah. But it's like, it's the same as trying to be Henry Rollins when you're not Henry Rollins.
2: Right. And you don't want to be Henry. Like, I, I don't even, yeah. Yeah. But there's something, I think what I loved about Henry Rollins when I first saw him is that he was his own self contained unit that put out his own books and made his own, he created his own genre of sort of semi stand up, spoken word telling stories, but he'd already lived this really incredible life beforehand. I wanted to do that without having lived the other incredible life of living in a van and being in a, you know, really being in a punk rock band.
1: Yeah. you know? Although, as your friend, and I've known you for so many years, you've got an incredible story. You've done a lot of Different weird things and survived a lot of weird stuff.
2: Well, now I do, but at the beginning I yeah, didn't. Okay. So that was when I really wanted to be some yeah. other person. Now I'm now I'm stuck being me. So <laughs> I'm you know I'm okay with it.
1: I love that. I think this is really good stuff. Um, if you uh, God, I don't. see so this is typically how I wrap it up, and I'm not sure I want to wrap it up yet. But um, if you were to run into a young version of yourself, 20, 21 year old version of Greg Baron, but working now in today's post-apocalyptic world. Yep. Um, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I would say, enjoy
2: yourself. Enjoy your actual self. Enjoy, enjoy. First of all, go look at your skin. Look at your face. Look at how much easier it is to get like, like enjoy your body. Enjoy your, like enjoy um, this process that you're going through because it, it, I think there were there there were I, I didn't, I didn't have enough gratitude. I was always dissatisfied with what wasn't coming my way. As soon as I got something, it's like, but what, what's the next thing? I got to get the next thing because you know, Paul F. Tompkins has the next thing, or somebody has the next thing, and and I want to you know, and I never just sat there and went, fuck, man, look what you have, look what you're doing, man, enjoy it, because I think part part of the reason is people realize when you're not present for them. And then they don't come back to see you because they look at you and they see that you're kind of, you're okay to be here, but you're not. And then they're sort of like, I don't know. I didn't connect. Like you got to really connect. I think that was, that would be the one thing I would say, be present, especially when you're performing and connect. Yeah. You know,
1: and stay there. We talked about that earlier about the idea of don't punish the people that are there for the people that aren't there. Be there right. For them.
2: Right, right. Well, you know, I would look at crowds and go, this isn't what they don't, this isn't, the, I would decide the old 97s, and their crowd was cool. <laughs> Nobody here has a cool belt on. What am I, you know, like yeah, I really yeah. had, I had aesthetic problems with the way things looked. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, you have cool friends. Like I was, I mean, fuck, I dated Janine Garofalo. David Cross was my roommate. I had the, I was with these incredibly hip alternative comics and I like the way their world looked, but I'm not like them. I'm goofier, I'm probably a little bit more user-friendly, um, and I'm never gonna be the person that, that, that Sub Pop calls up to give a bunch of records to, but I am gonna be the guy that Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 goes, hey, we watch you on the bus.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I don't think Paul would mind me saying this, but he, a few years ago, we were doing a thing together, and Paul of Tompkins and I were on the side of the stage, and I just was, you know, how's it going? He said, I, you know, I just had this thing happen to me at the radio station where the DJ asked me this question, and it comes up a lot, and it's, uh, it drives me crazy. He said, the DJ said to him, so a lot of the people that you came up with, a lot of the other Mr. Show people, a lot of people that you've worked with over the years, have, done, have had a lot more success than you. How does that make you feel? And he's like, what kind of fucked up question is that? <laughs> that is a fucked up question. That is a fucked up question. But I get that a lot. I mean, I get it from loved ones. It's the sort of the, yeah, but you deserve, and then they'll start listing things that they think I deserve that are, but right, it's what you're saying. It's like, we've been pretty lucky. You and I have both been able to like raise a couple of kids and make a living doing this thing that we love and is creative and we're good yeah. at and I mean, there's, that's a really beautiful thing.
2: There's, it's just this weird outside way of looking at the world. It's almost like the world before IMDb and before Wikipedia, the world was keeping track, and they only see the uh, the external payoff. They only they only see what goes down on paper, right? So you know, you look at your life and you're like, well, you know, this person did this, and it's like, well, in this period of time, I had cancer, and then in this period mm-hmm. of time. I just felt like spending more time with my kids and I really just didn't try to go like once you've been in show business, then you're you you already know what it is. So it's you're deciding whether you want to keep going back at it or keep going, you know, like it's not I don't think that uh, I would hate to be hustling and grinding and out the way some people are that I know. Yeah. that are very famous, but their whole life is the hustle and the grind and the thing. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that as a dad. I don't want to be that as a friend. You know, it just isn't that interesting to me. Like know? there's
1: an iciness to that ambition.
2: There's an iciness and also you're missing everything because you're constantly on the, on the hunt for stuff and you're not, you're not with your friends. You're not with your kids. You're not with your wife. Like, I mean, that, that's what all that stuff, I mean, all of the show business stuff was to make it so I could have a family. Yeah, that's. I just want to have a family, you know. And then I like to perform every once in a while, and I like to, I like to, I like to do it. But it's not the be all and end all.
1: Oh, I love that. I think that I think the hour of meditation you're doing every morning is is doing you a lot of good. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Thanks. I mean, it, it. You know, for me, it's necessary because I wake up and the voices in my head are already up and talking. They're all fucking like a committee in the kitchen, like fucking. I'm like, God, you guys, please. I need one more hour of sleep, so the <laughs> the meditation helps clear it out a little bit, yeah. you know, and get me focused so that I can just go about being, you know, useful.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I've always thought that about you. You have a big engine, so right? A lot of going on. There's a lot, but but also, but but a lot of it is a lot of it. I mean,
2: we we mentioned at the beginning of this thing, a lot of it it was bullshit. A lot of it were things I'm like that's not a real story. That's not a real truth. That's not actually how things work. You're, you're making a comparison to something that isn't real and you're not living in the moment of what's going on or also allowing your own organic self to turn into something. Like I said, that He's Just Not That Into You, some other things that I've been involved in, the podcast I was on for a while with my buddy Dave, like that stuff happened in the most unspectacular, weird way that was not planned and I had no thoughts about it. So... I want to be available for those kinds of things and I can only do that if I'm not trying to be available for anything.
1: Yeah. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for being on Wheels Off with me. Dude, today. I love you, man. Thank I you. I love you, Greg. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.